All right, well, welcome to another episode of the Pastors Roundtable. I am your host, Ryan Latham, and I'm here with my friend, Troy Singletary. Uh, Troy is the lead pastor of City View Church here in San Diego, California, Suffering for Jesus. Yes. Suffering for Jesus here in San Diego. <laughs> uh, we just got done with uh, some staff training, and uh, I thought it would be fun to sit down and talk with you a little bit about your ministry journey and uh, just what's going on in ministry now and help us out with just kind of some tips, things like that for the future. So let me tell you a little bit about Troy. Uh, Troy and I, uh, he, Troy was actually my boss and, uh, you know, a good friend. Uh, he was my supervisor, my boss for about four and a half years. Um, and great leader, great vision, uh, great passion and, uh, loves, loves good food. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's nothing like a good taco. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good, and I think he's referring to Mexican food. Absolutely, absolutely. There's going to be Mexican food in heaven. There will be horchata. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Troy, tell us just a little bit about your ministry journey. Well, I've been in ministry full-time for probably about 28 years and uh, started off as an intern in Fremont at Fremont First Assembly and uh, was still going to Bethany College at that time in Santa Cruz. So my senior year, I was commuting. Uh, being an associate, uh, doing Sundays primarily on the weekends. And then from there, uh, the pastor ended up like saying, hey, I want you to do junior high. So we were able to get on staff there as the junior high pastors. And my wife and I at that time weren't married. We were engaged to be married. And then our pastor ended up, um, ended up becoming the senior pastor at Lancaster First Assembly. And because the pastor who was there went to the district office to be the, the treasurer, secretary treasurer. And so he said, hey, if I'm going to come, I have a children's pastor. I want to bring in a, a couple that's about to be youth pastors. So we ended up uh, getting married, went to Maui, came back and loaded up a little U-Haul and ended up going from uh, the Bay Area to the high desert where they had a lot of beach, just no water. And so um, I believe that was your selling pitch when I when you were interviewing. Yes, me, was that yes. The got beach? a lot, yeah. lot of got a lot of beach, just no water. And so we were there for four and a half, wonderful, five and a half, almost five years uh, from 94 to 99. And then the Lord ended up taking us to Portland, Oregon, uh, where we did high school and college. And uh, we were there for three years and went there and, you know, went from the brown to the green, from no rain to rain. And instead of uh, tanning, I rested from all the rain. And uh, we were there for three years. And then the Lord brought us back to the Holy Land of Southern California. And we were doing high school only at a wonderful church in Bakersfield, at Canyon Hills. And then there was a time in my 14 years of working with young people that I knew that there was going to be a transition from being a youth pastor to a lead pastor. And I knew that in that process, there was going to be something that was going to help develop me for that. And uh, two dear friends called me that they were looking for an executive pastor. And I think a lot of people thought I was going to go with my other friend um down in the corona area to be his executive pastor for his wonderful thriving church uh and then there was where i was the youth pastor at lancaster to go back and be there so i think a lot of people in the natural thought oh he's going to go to corona he's not going to lancaster but sometimes our ways aren't his ways and our thoughts aren't his thoughts and the lord ended up telling us to go back to lancaster and so we went back in um uh 2006 and uh, that was the transition of being in youth ministry for almost 15 years to now being an executive pastor. And I remember my pastor telling me, this is the closest you're going to be like to being a lead pastor just without the title. And the, the ultimate desire was, you know, he was getting up in age. And so there was a 
maybe a succession plan to say, hey, you know, when I go off in the sunset, you'll take over because you were the youth pastor and, you know, you've been the executive pastor for X amount of years. And so it'll it'll be a smooth transition for that to happen. So, uh, you know, that was the ultimate goal for what we thought was going to happen. But again, God had a different plan. And, uh, you know, we'll unpack that in a second. But just, yeah, just we'll get that's, back into that. That, that's how that's the journey. And then, of course, uh, in 2015, the Lord brought us to San Diego. And I remember when I was in now how much time did you have to pray about coming to San Diego <laughs> to be a lead pastor? Let's be honest. Well, I remember when I was a senior in high school, a uh, senior in college at Bethany, we did our senior trip here to San Diego and I was on the shores of La Jolla. And, uh, you know, I was in the my feet were in the water and I was just looking at the beach and the scenery. And I, and I said this, I'll never forget it. I said, Lord, if you ever call us to San Diego, I will not say no. <laughs> and that and who would have ever thought that 20. Maybe I need to be. Pr- that's why I need to pray. I need, <laughs> I need to change my prayer life. <laughs> and so maybe that was why, you know, it's, you know, 23 years later, because we've been here almost five years that the Lord ended up remembering that prayer that I said. So y- be careful what you pray for wherever you're at. Or don't be careful. <laughs> yeah. You, you pray the right thing. <laughs> That's true. So uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, you are pretty controversial in the fact that uh, you're a Spurs fan. Yes. Diehard. You know, and now I, I, I'm praying for Pop. You know, I don't know what's happened to him. But, um, you know, he's he seems to sometimes focus more on politics than he does on basketball. But, you know. I love the Spurs. I was born in San Antonio, so a lot of people I know, especially whether they're OKC or Laker, they're like, what the heck are you doing living here, you know, in California rooting for some team that's not even relevant. But you know what? S- there's always got to be an oddball in, there is, in, the, in the now picture. Now, the connection is that you were born in the area, right? Yes. Yeah, so I was born in San Antonio, so how the Lord even brought me to California was a miracle because I was going to Southwestern Assemblies of God in Waxahachie and I went to San Antonio College to get basics, and then I was planning to go back. But then the Lord opened a door for me to go to Bethany, and I had never been to California in my life. I was in Texas, our state bird, the mosquito, you know, the whole nine yards, and then the Lord ended up, you know, giving me an opportunity to see California. Okay, so, by the way, you joke about that. (laughs) Yes. But I was in Katy, Texas, and their minor league baseball team is the Skeeters. <laughs> <laughs> so so the ma- mascot is the Mosquito. Oh, yeah, man. So, I mean, you joke about it, but it's pretty real. Yeah, I, I think our state bird in Texas is the, the Hummingbird or something. I can't remember what it is. but No, it's, it's the Mosquito. It is the Mosquito. There's no doubt about it. So coming from Texas to California, which I'd never been to, I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have humidity. There's no chicharrones or, you know, uh, the, the locusts at night, you know, that make those crazy sounds or during the day. And there is no humidity and no mosquitoes. And I'd never been to Northern California, just fell in love with, you know, Santa Cruz and all that stuff. And so that was my desire to go to Bethany. But my dad didn't end up getting a loan. And so I didn't think I was going to be able to go. But God made a way for me to where there seemed to be no way. And I ended up at Bethany in 92. And I've been on the West Coast since, you know, my mom is like, my son went to Bible college and he's <laughs> not he's not back with me anymore. <laughs> so um, but, you know, again, um, I would have never thought that I would be out on the West Coast. But the Lord brought me here, met my wife and, you know, 28 plus years later in ministry and 25 plus years of marriage. We have four kids and I uh, always wanted to have two and adopt two. And the Lord gave us that. And you awesome. know, I'll share more about that later. That's great. So. I want to come back to more controversial subjects. So you're in San Diego, mm-hmm. and you were in L.A. for a long time. In the L.A. County, yeah. But you 
somehow are a 49ers fan, right? No. No. Teresa is a 49ers fan. Oh. I'm a Steelers fan. Steelers? I know. Okay. People are like, how can you be from Texas? Okay. What's going on? Well, in the 70s, everyone in my family was either a Cowboys fan or an Oilers fan. And what ended up happening was I just fell in love with the silver and black. And everyone thought I was dropped as a baby because it was like, how can you not be a Cowboys or an mm. Oilers fan? But I just wanted to be a rebel with the cause. And okay. of course, that was a good time to be a Steelers fan in the 70s because they won four Super Bowls. Yeah. And I think it was because you were the fan. Maybe. I, I don't know. You know, maybe the Mexican leprechaun or something <laughs> like that. So, <laughs> OK, so let's jump back to, um, you know, we talked you, you talked a little bit about the succession plan. Mm-hmm. OK, so I think w- when I think about Troy, I think that there's something about your loyalty, your faithfulness, you know, um, a lot of people talk about being under spiritual authority and spiritual covering. And, you know, you went back with a, a, a good idea of a succession plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that plan didn't quite work out as maybe you had thought or maybe they had thought. Mm-hmm. But you stayed loyal. Mm-hmm. You stayed committed to it. You stayed committed to the pastor. You stayed committed to the church. You stayed committed. Just talk about that journey. What was that like? Um, what, what, what have you learned from that? Well, I think, you know, <coughs> when you're in the ministry, it, it comes down to two things. Is it a call or a career? And for me, it's always been a call. I mean, even before I was born, m- I was born out of wedlock. Uh, my mom was already a single woman when she met my dad, and they found out that she was pregnant, and there was really no understanding if they were going to get married. Uh, there was no really desire to maybe even get married, and so... They decided, you know what, we need let's, we need to just get abort this child because my mom uh, was already a single mom with one child, and she didn't want to be a single mom with two children without a father. So uh, my mom had a friend who knew how to do what needed to be done, and and uh, she was on the the bed for the perform for the surgery to be done uh, or for the abortion to be done, I should say. And my mom was a religious woman; she believed in God. She was raised Catholic. She just didn't have that relationship with the Lord. But the Lord spoke to her and said, thou shalt not kill. I'm going to use this child for my glory. And she looked at her friend who was getting ready to do what needed to be done. And and she said to her friend, what did you say? And she goes, I didn't say anything. And again, the Lord spoke to my mom again. And so she said, you know what? I I need to leave this place and uh, I need to remove myself from this uh, this room because I'm not going to do this. And so she told my father. Eventually they got married. They've been married now for over 48 years. And um, so growing up, my mom used to always call me uh, an evangelist, a preacher, and I hated it because I didn't want to be that. I, I grew up with aspirations of being a race car driver and then a fireman and then uh, a lawyer and nothing wrong with those things. But I just got to the point where I realized, you know what, going into my senior year of high school, I went to a um, Christian camp and I realized he died for me. I want to live for him. And I remember telling my mom and dad, I, I feel called to the ministry. And I remember growing up, my mom would you know, there was times where I really loved the Lord and was growing in my faith, and I would remember sometimes preaching to my stuffed animals, and, you know, even, you know, all these years later, sometimes I still feel like I'm preaching to stuffed animals, <laughs> but, but um, you know, I, I remember baptizing my, my stuffed animals in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, you know, doing all sorts of different things, and I was, at one point when we were Catholic, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a priest. And I didn't know priests couldn't get married. I just said, you know, homie ain't playing that game. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> That's not for me. You know, I ended up, you know, eventually when I, we became, you know, went started going to Christian church, non-denom. And then I grew in my faith. I realized, you know what, I want to be, I feel a call of God. And then that's when my parents told me, 
what I just told you that they never told me while I was growing up. So I thought it was just some image that she had in her mind and just some dream or fantasy, but she had something that she knew that I didn't even know in my life. And so I always grew up dealing with rejection and low self-esteem, and I wondered why I was even born. But the Lord, I think even before I was born, there was already like a spirit of rejection on me. And somehow, some way, God turned that around going into my senior year of high school and started developing things in me that I think had I been confident and been like, I, I believe in myself, I would have done things that probably I should have never done. But the Lord protected me in that season. What ended up happening was um, I went, I felt the call of God. And so as I went back to Lancaster with this idea and this notion that, hey, this would be the ultimate goal if, we, if, if that was his dream, my dream, because of all the years that I'd been there, the people knew me, um, that that would be great. And uh, but days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, months turned to years and things didn't come to fruition. But even in that process of going back to Lancaster, um, the market crashed in 2006. We put our home on the market in Bakersfield. We ended up moving uh, five times in 10 months um, with me and my wife and our two kids and a dog, a, a yellow lab named Daisy. And and yet we're still trying to sell this house in Bakersfield. Well, the house finally sells a year later, uh, and my wife got a teaching job just right when we uh, ended up going back to Lancaster. So we decided, okay, we'll put our house in the market. We'll have someone live in it. We'll move into someone else's house that's not living in theirs. And, um, you know, but in the midst of that, they ended up moving back. And then we moved, like I said, five times in 10 months. And so we finally sold the house, put money down, and then on our daughter's birthday, May 11th, um, which we were, we took everything even out of our house. And um, what ended up happening was um, the whole deal went south Amen. on our daughter's birthday. So what happened no was way. it was one of those most devastating things that we were just weeping and crying. And our pastor of our church came to the home because he could just tell I was just emotionally distraught. Like, we know God's called us here and we know that this is our desire um, why aren't we moving here? Why is God not moving us to the city that our church is at? So because of the relationship that I had with him, you know, and he said something that I'll never forget. Sometimes you don't understand the hand of God, but you have to trust the heart of God. Amen. And and we didn't understand why did the Lord not want us in, in the Antelope Valley? Why, why did the Lord want us to move back to Bakersfield? So we ended up moving back to Bakersfield and developed a, a commute plan. Yeah, and how far is that? Uh, it was probably about an hour and 10-minute drive. Wow. I, I remember I just we bought a Camry hybrid, a Toyota 2007, um, and when it was all said and done, I put like 260,000 miles on that car uh, for nine years when it was time to go to church. You know, some people complain like, oh, I got to get up at 7 to get to church by 9. My wife would get up at 5. I'd get up at 6. We'd get our two kids ready. We'd get on the road by 7. Yeah. You know, and we did that for nine years, wow. you know thinking of what was going to happen yeah um but i remember when we moved back to bakersfield and commuted to lancaster you know our dream was always to have two kids and adopt two kids and when we went back we became foster parents and ended up uh getting our first child when we moved back and got recertified and when we got this young man or this little boy he was uh he went into the system at five months we got him at 14 months and we were his his uh, tenth home, so I don't know what it is That's with cool. five moves in ten months and a kid <laughs> that you know he experienced you know you know all these moves in ten months and stuff like that and so 
the social worker said, I've never had a, a teenager move as many times as this kid has moved. So he became a part of our family, and about 17 months later, we adopted him. And then um, we ended up getting a call about another little boy who was born in Lancaster where I was working. And my wife said, hey, there's the possibility of a adopt, you know, fostering to adopt, but we need to make a decision. So we had never seen a picture of the kid. We didn't, you know, anything. He was born in Lancaster. And so it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I can't go pick up this kid and bring him home. She goes, no, no, I'll go get him. Or it was snowing between Bakersfield and Lancaster is to Hatchapi, and sometimes they shut the 58 down, but she says, I'll go and get him. She went and got him, and we didn't know that he had to be fed every three hours. Oh he, had, he had some issues that we didn't know about, So, but we, we took him in, and so you know we had this one little boy that we just adopted. We fostered another little boy, and nine months later, we ended up adopting him. So had the Lord not moved us back to Bakersfield, we would have never gotten those two boys. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you don't understand the hand of God, you got to trust the heart of God. And that's what, th- and I look back and I think, why didn't God move us to Lancaster where we were pastoring, yeah. where the ultimate goal was for a succession plan. But that's because God had a different plan. Mm. And that was to unite us with these two boys and 20 years of marriage and 22 years of overall dating and all that stuff for 23 years, our dream became a reality. And God gave us two kids of our own, and we adopted two kids. And so it's one of those things that, that you look back and, and you think, had we bought the home that we were going to buy, had those people bought the home that we had in Bakersfield, those two boys would have never come into our life. Yeah, and, and you had been praying for two boys yeah. to, to yeah. adopt them. So it's one of those things that you look back, and, and even in ministry, there's things that happen that you wonder, why why did this happen? Why is why did God allow us to go through this? Or why? And, and, and sometimes we ask the wrong question. Instead of why, we should be asking, how are you going to use this, Lord, uh, for your glory and your honor? Uh, there's yeah. a purpose behind the pain. Yeah. And, and there's always a purpose behind the pain that you go through. So, yeah. so going through those th- that season, um, that was one of the miracles. But even then... As days turn to weeks, weeks turn to months, months turn to years, you know, in that process, I always knew in my heart the biggest thing that I can do is not only be called to do what God's called me to do, but called to serve the senior pastor, even though he gave me incredible flexibility, even though he trusted me. Um, there were times where people would say, oh, you know, I wish you would preach more or, or when are you going to do this? And I never looked at those opportunities to say, yeah, you're right, or I should get this or I should do that. I just kept serving God's interest in his vision and his desire for what God wanted to do in the life of the church. Even if it wasn't maybe my vision or my desire, it wasn't about me. It was all about him, and it was all about um, not only him when I mean him, the Lord, but it was also about serving the person that I was under. Because if you can't submit to authority, then you can never experience the— if you're not willing to submit to authority— then when it's your time to want that authority, you're never going to get it because you weren't able to do it in the little things. Yeah, And I think it's in those little things that God will eventually bless you with the big. Yeah, and, and during your time there, uh, you served as like the interim, I think, every single job. Yeah, I was a children's pastor at one time. I was a youth pastor at one time. I was an intern director at one time. 
Um, I think I was the women's ministry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, but I, it was funny because I did so many well, but, things. But like marriage ministry. Yeah, we did marriage, you men's, did men's ministry. ministry. You did, uh, yeah. I think, classic, at, you know, the senior. Yeah, at, at some time. And so, you know, it's funny because when I interned at that church in Fremont, I wanted to work with the youth. They didn't put me to work with the youth till the last month I was there. And I first started doing a first grade Sunday school class. Then they had me work with the seniors. Then they had me work with singles. And I'm thinking, why am I here? I want to work with youth. I didn't work with the youth till the last month I was there. And then they ended up hiring me part time. If I would have worked with the youth at the beginning, and then they would have done me with all these other things, I probably would have never got gotten an offer to be a part time youth pastor. But like again, the what I appreciate about the internship I had, it wasn't just what I wanted. Yeah. It was they wanted me to be involved and experience the whole church. Mm. And because of that, when I went to become an executive pastor and I went through those seasons of being interim children's interim, I I remember what I went through as that as that intern and I felt like it even prepared me for what I did, you know, some, you know, sixteen years later, you know. So yeah. it it was a neat experience that I look back and say Wow. And then being an executive pastor and even though I was a youth pastor at one time, but being back in that fold or being a children's person or th working with the seniors, it gave me a greater, a greater appreciation for those that work in those ministries. That way, when I didn't have to do those things anymore or now as a lead pastor, you learn to appreciate the, the nursery worker, yeah. the first grade Sunday school teacher. Because you know what it's like. Because you know what it's like. And so sometimes you can only possess what you experience. But when I experienced those seasons of being interim on top of all these other things that I was doing on top of commuting on top of, uh, you know, fostering a child and then adopting and then uh, and then fostering another one as a baby uh, and commuting and doing all that stuff that I did. It's it's the grace of God that that sustained us in the midst of all the uncertainty. Yeah. So when you looked back over the past years of, of ministry, what would you say to your 25-year-old self? Today, oh, like... If you could go back to your 25-year-old wow. self, what would you say to yourself? Oh, man, I, I think, uh, you know, I would say uh, don't be secure in who you are mm. in Christ. Um, you know, because I think a lot of times when we're younger, we feel like we have to show who we are because we don't have all the... the the years of knowledge like some of those that are older but like i think uh becoming secure not doing things on your own by yourself but because i think sometimes in ministry we can make it about the castle and not about the kingdom and i think the castle is important but i think the more focused we are on the castle meaning the church and not the capital c church the kingdom that um we can lose sight of that and i think the reason when you're younger is because of fear like if my people get exposed to their people, they'll want to go to that church or my youth group will want to go to that because they have this yeah. and that. So I think it's one of those things that you just, if I could look back and say, hey, you know, like just, just your bet, we're better together. You know, um, there's power and collaboration. Mm. Uh, even though I can't stand the Warriors, I love their motto, their <laughs> strength, you know, their strength in numbers. And so I think uh, being secure in who you are, I think uh, networking and don't be Han Solo. <laughs> you know, ministries, but we're, you're, we're better together Yeah. and iron sharpening iron. And, and, uh, and I think those are two big things that, that I wish I could do over again, you know? Yeah, that's great. So you've already talked about some of the advice that previous mentors have given you, but what's some of the best advice that you've been given? Well, I think, um, one of the, there's a lot of things, but I think, um, 
you know, wherever you go in ministry or even in the secular world, um, I think the most important thing is to do what God's called you to do and to do it with all of with everything you've got. And I think uh, one of the things that I think is important to do is that when you go somewhere like for me, being a pastor, you know, God calls you to a church. And I think that's important that we're called to a church, but I think we also we need to remember that God hasn't just called us to a church. He's called us to a city. And I think it's important that we remember as ministers of the gospel that we are to take care of his flock. We're to to build them in their faith, make them influencers for the kingdom of God. But if if we don't reach people outside the four walls of the church, then we can become focused more on the castle than the kingdom. And I think um, if there's anything, it's it's about you're not just called to a church, you're called to a city. And what is God calling you to do in that city, whether it's for the people behind your church, around your church, or, you know, a region of the city or whatever yeah. it may be, and just say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do for and serve your interest in the lives of people, not only in the church, but how can I get our church to rally around the people that are around the church that need Jesus, how, how we've received Jesus. Yeah. So I think I think to me it's is make it not just about the church God's called you to, but about but about the community that he's surrounded you by. Yeah. Because if we're not careful, we can become a club more than a hospital. And and Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came for the sick. And I think what we have to remind ourselves daily as as the body of Christ, as the church, is we it's not about us. It's about them. Yeah. You know, um, our motto here at our church is every person counts and Sometimes people can take that for granted, you know, well, since everybody, every person counts, then then I want this or I want that. And and you almost have to make another hashtag. It's not about you. <laughs> you know, every person counts, but it's not about yeah, you. And I yeah. think it's one of those things that if we can if we can develop a mind frame around being a healing center, around being a hospital and um, hospitals are beautiful. I've been to some super nice hospitals, especially here in San Diego. But no matter how beautiful a hospital is, it's messy Yeah, because you're dealing with illnesses and disease and sickness. And we've all been tested positive for this thing called SIN. And I think the only thing that's going to deliver us or set us free is the blood of Christ and how we can bring hope and transformation by being Jesus with skin on. Because some of the people in our community, we might be the only Bible they ever read. So how can we serve God's interests in their lives? Maybe it's through kindness. Maybe it's through compassion. Uh, maybe it's through relationship because sometimes people want to be connected before they're corrected. And I think uh, the best thing that we can do is see how we can be an extension of Christ to our community. And I think once you do that, you'll start to see your church become a reflection of it. And uh, and it seems like everywhere the Lord has taken us, we, we've seen multi-ethnic happening in our churches, yeah. whether we were youth pastors or you know, had youth leaders and yeah. it looked like the United Nations. Yeah. And so um, that's what heaven's going to look like. And so I think that's to me is an important thing. And I think another thing is, is it's, it's a marathon. It's not a race. Yeah. You know, sure. there's only so much you can do in a day um, and you've got to pace yourself and you've got to learn to say no. And even when you want to say yes, and even the way you model it with your kids, I always tell my kids I'm going to work. I never have told my kids I'm going to church. The only time I ever tell them I'm going to church is on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. Yeah. And so I always tell them, hey, dad's going to work. Because if I always tell them I'm going to church, I'm going to church, I'm going to church, I'm going to church, 
I don't want them to become dis just despise the church. Yeah. So for me, it's like I think the other thing is you got to learn to have boundaries, mm. and I think you got to learn to separate the two worlds. Even though it is a call, it's not a career, but to be able to explain to people, I'm going to work, but today we're going to church. Yeah. So there's a difference. Yep, there's a huge difference when you say it that way. Yeah. So leading your team the last few years here or maybe even previously as the executive, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I know working with you, we went through books, things like that. So mm -hmm. what are some of the major moments like a retreat or uh, book or meetings? What are some of those major things that you've done or that you are doing that has helped, you know, develop your staff, your team? Well, there's I mean, there's so many resources that we have for those in ministry or those that are leading ministry teams or churches or prayer organizations a and there's you're so thankful for all of those great resources and great leaders i mean we you know we have now podcasts available like what you're doing and so forth and and those are so good but i think like for me uh there's been all sorts of books that i've read i i love larry osborne stuff i you know craig rochelle and andy stanley and you know uh, patrick leonsi and there's so many, and some of it we've done as a team, and then there's things that, that you've read on your own. Um, but I think, uh, you know, A Tale of Three Kings is an incredible book. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I remember as an intern, they made me read this book, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. What What is this? And then as you go through ministry and you experience things, there's things that you begin to realize, you know what? Um, I want to be about the presence of God more than the position. Because if, if we get so consumed by the position, we'll miss the presence and we'll become Saul instead of David. And I think as ministers, we got to make sure that we make it about the presence more than the position, uh, more than titles, you know, but his but who he is. And, and even when spears are thrown at us or things are done, whether we we cause them or not, we learn from our mistakes, but we just keep playing the harp. And I think that's a book that I, I just encourage whether you're just fresh off the farm or you've been in for 30 years or more, that's an incredible book by, I think, Gene Edwards. Yeah. And then and then um, Leadership Pain by Dr. Sam Chan is yeah, an sure. incredible book because as, as pastors, we all want, or as leaders, we all want the benefits, we all want the blessings, but we don't like the brokenness. And I think in order to experience the blessings and the benefits that God has for us, sometimes you have to give up to go up. Sometimes you have to go through pain uh, in order to get growth, and I think uh, that I, that I remember when I first came to this church, um, I had I gave a copy to every board member to realize that hey, as we do what God's called us to do, it's not all you know uh, mistletoe and snowflakes, you know, <laughs> it's 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 thorns and thistles and you yeah. know highs and lows and ups and downs, but through it all, God has a purpose behind the pain, and so I think those are some great resources. Uh, that have helped me, helped us as a team, and stuff like that. Yeah. So has there been a time in your ministry or even your personal life where uh, something that may have looked like a failure has actually set you up for success? Mm. Well, I think any time that you deal with uh, change or dealing with things, you know, as a, as a pastor, I love people, and I've always loved people, and you know, uh, sometimes when you do what God's called you to do, unfortunately, not everyone's going to get on the bus. And when that happens, it's 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 because you love people. You don't want anyone to 
get off the bus. Sometimes you'll pull off the side of the road and try to get those 15, 20 people to get back on. And, and but we're but you've got hundreds and hundreds that are like, why is the bus stopped? You know, um, and so there comes a point in time where you just have to realize that you know you not everyone's going to get on the bus, and and you have to love them, you have to bless them, you have to pray for them, and in those times where you feel like people have left the bus, you can look at those things and realize that that's the worst thing that can happen to you. But but sometimes God, when you hold people with an open hand and, and you realize they don't belong to you, they belong to God, even your staff. God can take that situation that might be painful and that may not look like a success and turn it into, um, that might look like a failure, but turn it around to a success. And, and sometimes you may not see it in that moment, but as you continue to remain faithful to what God calls you to do, you'll look back in that time where you felt like a failure or like, oh man, why, this isn't what I dreamed of or this is what I thought was going to happen. But you look back and it's, it's, it humbles you because you realize that everything that is done is, is the, it was, it's the Lord's. You know, the Lord, it's, this is the Lord's church. It's not yeah. my church. Yeah. And I think the bottom line is it's one of those things that when you look back, in those times when you feel like you failed, uh, whether it's in a personal ministry or it's uh, with a budget or whatever it may be, you learn from your mistakes, you grow from them, and you humble yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what God says, like, oh, now that you're now completely trusting me, now watch what we can do together. Because you're all trying to do it on your own. Yeah. And I, and I think that's one of those things where sometimes God, you know, just has to humble us. And, and, you know, we learn from our mistakes. We grow from them. And even if you haven't done anything wrong, you just know that God has the ultimate plan. Yeah. And as long as you walk in obedience and as, and as long as you're faithful, um, he'll turn that faithfulness into fruitfulness in his time. Even when you feel like you failed. You know, Abraham Lincoln failed so many times. But he kept on pursuing him, and he became one of the greatest presidents we ever had. Yeah. Thank God he didn't stop after, like, so many failures of trying to even be on Congress or whatever yeah, it may Congress, be. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I think the key is you just, you know, in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your downs, you just got to keep going forward and reminding yourself that one plus God equals the majority, not yeah. the minority. Yeah. So uh, sermon prep. Hmm. Everyone's doing it. Yeah, it's coming every week. Yep, it does. So, uh, what what are you doing? What does that look like for you? Well, I think the key for me is I'm a sermon series guy. So we either do a four week series or an eight week series, and you know, uh, we just kind of pray about like, Lord, what do you, what, what, where's our culture at? What, what's going on in our churches? And you just start praying about you know certain things and start looking at certain things that are happening in, in our culture and how that relates to the scriptures. Like right now we're doing a series on the seven uh, churches in Revelation and we're calling it Trends because uh, what, we've ex what we've seen in the church of the uh, then and there, the similarities are happening in the, in the here and now. And so I think when it comes to those types of things is uh, you pray and then you begin to develop a plan. And then when you begin to develop a plan, you start studying and you start looking at the scriptures you start researching and so forth and then you start developing your your points and your scriptures that go with it and then you start developing the things that have happened personally maybe in your life or in what the scriptures have happened through the history of where that church was at and so forth so it's a lot of work i know that the pastor that i worked with in lancaster he probably spent you know 
30, 50 hours a week on his messages, and they were phenomenal. And I think on the average, you know, the average pastor probably, sp- I know for me, it's between 10 and 15 hours a week. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of a lot of work. It's you know you, know, you don't want to be doing it at Saturday night at nine at <laughs> night. That that's that's drama. But you, yeah. you pace yourself, and you try to get ahead of the game. And of course, there's things that happen in our culture that even if you have a series planned or you plan the year out, that God speaks to you and says, "No, you're going to do it on yeah. this." And so. Like even in the middle of our seven weeks of of trends on the book of Revelation, the churches in Revelation, we took a two week breakout for um, voices of revival where we talked about after our twenty one days of prayer, like we we just were believing for God to do something to outpour His Spirit. So, in the middle of the trends of seeing the church of the the then and there to the here and now, we decided to say, hey, let's let's talk about what God wants to do now, mm-hmm. and then we went back into. Um, you know, we're going to continue the series for the next two weeks and get it done. That's great. But there's those moments, too, and you have to be willing to be flexible and say, hey, um, even though we're planning ahead and we're, we're doing what we need to do, there's times that God will speak to you and say, hey, I want you to do this instead. Yeah, so are you planning series kind of like case by case, or are you mapping them a few months out? Oh, f- a few months out. You know, we our ultimate goal is, I mean, for us, every church is different, but we try to plan out um, in September – and on October, what we're going to do for the entire year of, of next year. Okay. And, you know, every church is different, but for me right now, there's four things that are non-negotiable in that 12-month or however it goes, whether it's for four weeks or it's for two months in that series. But, um, you know, vision, um, casting vision, not only for you personally, but for the church, stewardship, um, compassion is another one that we're doing in marriage and family. So we know um that's the ultimate goal i mean god can do whatever he wants i mean but we always for now out of the eight out of the 12 months we know four months are going to be focused on those four things and then it's whatever else the lord begins to speak into our hearts that our people need that our culture needs yeah you know whether it's topical or it's a book of the bible or whatever it may be or it could be you know on the the armor of god or the fruits of the spirit you know and or the Beatitudes, we've done that, and so that's like an eight-week yeah. series and stuff like that, or the seven deadly sins, mm-hmm. and so some of those things go for two months, you know, it just depends. You know, I know some guys, they'll spend one book the entire year, yeah. and it just depends on what yeah. God's told them to do, and as you get older, sometimes instead of doing one s- message and a different message, you, you start doing things different. Instead yeah. of becoming about topics you you begin to become more verse by verse you know gotcha and i think that just happens as as you get older and you start developing different patterns yeah so you mentioned earlier having a view for the city Mm -hmm. and i know that's a big passion for yours so what are some things you're doing what are you involved in some groups what's what's kind of that view how was that how does that play out for you having a city view well i think for me when i first came to this church i I wanted to meet with city officials to know when you heard City View Church, what came to your mind? Because I I believe that a church should not be known just for their location, which we have a great location right off the freeway, um, and we're thankful for that. And all of us have geographical locations of where the Lord's placed us. But if, if you were to ask the city officials, what is your church known for, and they couldn't say nothing, then that means that if your doors were to close, they wouldn't be like, <gasps> no, yeah. not that church. You know, yeah. no, we need them. And I, I want to I wanna be known for our heart more than our location. 
I want to be I want it to be like if we had to close our doors, they would be like, no, not not your church. Um, and so when I met with them, I just asked them some questions. I, I met with the chief of uh, the fire department and I met with a, a couple of other dignitaries in the city. I met our city council person from our district here in Mission Valley. And um, I just wanted to hear what they had to say. And so, you know, when you kind of s- hear what you're known for or what you've done in the past or what you're doing in the present, those are all great, good things. But you realize, you know what, we, we can do more than that, you know. And so what you just start doing is you just start praying, Lord, what are the needs in our city? And if you don't know what the needs in your city are, just ask the principal at the school. Just ask um, the, the chief of police, you know, if you can meet with them. And and the the things are overwhelming. You can't do everything, but you can do whatever that one thing is that God calls you to do. And so for us, we have a big military presence here um, in San Diego because of our Navy bases and all that. And, you know, you could look at the military and say, well, they're only going to be with you for one, two, three years, and they're going to transition. But, but it's a mission field. And then there's people, too, that are actually moving into California. They're not leaving where they're staying. And so... You just realize, you know what, our our desire has got to be to serve God's interest in the lives of others, however that may be, whether that's in in um, cleaning up a school, which we've done. As a matter of fact, we, in our Compassion Series, we take that one, we do a three-part series, and on the fourth Sunday of that month, instead of having church, we're, we go and be the church. Oh, that's great. And so we go clean up a school, and, and some people could say, well, you could do that on a Saturday, and, you know, we may do that on a Saturday someday, but... It blows people's mind when we're dog it down at um, the beach cleaning up or at Dog Beach giving people, you know, water bottles and giving their, their dogs a bone or, you know, a ball or something like that. And they're like, wait a minute, y'all are a church and you're not in your building, but you're coming to us. It blows their minds. And yeah, so I think for me, it, it's, it's building relationship with um, city officials, uh, with the movers and shakers in the city. Um and developing relationship with them and just saying, hey, you know, what can we do collaboratively to serve God's interest in the lives of others? And even down below us, there's a huge uh, suburban village that's being built on 200 plus acres. And they're expecting about, once it's all said and done, about 12,000 people to move into that area. And so we've just started, you know, serving them. And we did you know, normally we do a big Easter outreach here at our church. We took it down to them oh, well. for not only Savita but for Mission Valley. And I think we had almost 2,000 people for our first time to ever do it. And the representatives of that planned community were so blown away by what we did that they want to help us next year because they said in the history of, you know, it's a young, they have a park that was built and all this other stuff, but it's still being developed. The whole thing, they said, in all the years that this thing has been here, there has never been anything like this to where, People couldn't even find a parking spot. So, wow. you know, they want to help us out. And so it's just, it takes time. It takes consistency. It takes um, building trust yeah. and real making them realize, listen, we're here to serve. And I think that's the most important thing that people understand that we're here to serve them, not to be served. And when they know that and you've allowed those deposits to be hidden in their hearts, then that gives you the door to become influential with them because they they know that you care for them yeah it's about being connected more than corrected at that time and yeah. so as that's happening we're we're seeing the lord do some great things and like the at&t commercial the guy it's happening you know <laughs> we're, we're, we're seeing it start to happen but it doesn't happen overnight but you got to keep on 
pressing on and eventually God will start turning that faithfulness into fruitfulness. Yeah, I think when you're when we talk about reaching the city, it's definitely a long play. Oh yeah. And and because it's a long play, your desire needs to be to be there for the long haul. I think when I look at any history of a church that I've been in, the success has been longevity. And, you know, of course, you know, this is my first lead pastorate and God willing I like it to be my lead my last one twenty five years later. You know, but um it's in the hands of the Lord. Yeah. You know, you can't promise people that, hey, I'm going to be here 25 years. Yeah. But I think what gives you favor in a city and in with a church and with and with a community is longevity. Yeah. And for me, that's all I've experienced. I was at one church. The pastor was there for 20 plus year. Yeah. The other church I was at 20 plus year. I'd never been in a situation where I had to put my resume down on the guy's yeah. desk, you know, whoever came in next or you know, go through a pastoral search. Every place that I've been at, uh, they've been there for that long, or they're still there. Yeah. So I've I've been under great leadership to learn that longevity speaks volumes. That's great. And that's that I think is the key too. Is is if you can continue to plow the field because as Tom Rainier says, you know, your first year is your honeymoon phase. You can do no wrong. Your second and third years is um, conflicts and challenges. Your fourth year and fifth year are crossroads. People are trying to decide are they in or out. And if you can endure all that stuff, year six through ten is harvest. And the reason most pastors don't get to that is because they can't endure years two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. So if we can just be consistent to the call that God's made on our lives, harvest is just around the corner. And then year 11, the change is not the church. The change is you. Yeah. Are you willing to change what was successful the new wineskin that God wants to do for the next 12 to 15, 16 years. Yeah. So it's 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 a constant battle. It's not the church at the beginning. All of a sudden, it, it's you, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So in your own life, what are some things that bring you renewal? Um, tamales. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a good tamale goes a long ways. Yes, it does. It does. Um, I think for me um, – you know, I've always loved the outdoors, you know, um, even though I'm not able to do as much as I'd like to. But there's just something about being, you know, whether it's at the beach or the lake or the mountains, um, though I'm not big on skiing. You know, uh, I don't know if you understand what the NHL stands for. Uh, it does not stand for the National Hockey League. Uh-huh. It stands for the non-Hispanic League because <laughs> uh, you don't see a lot of Mexicans on ice <laughs> and on snow. But I do tube. I do a mean tube. So um, I think the bottom line is it's it's just being out there with nature is, is really a cool thing to do. And just, you know, trying to do things with my family. I think when you're younger in ministry, you're so goal-oriented, which is good and important. And, at, and even at 48, I'm still goal-oriented. But as you get older, it's, it goes from goals to legacy. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if there's a way that we can bring balance to both, I think that's that's a good thing. Because you could be all about legacy and not want to see God do things. It's all about you. But you, I think you got to have a balance of both. So I think, um, you know, at, at my age now, as I'm getting older, it's it's about what am I going to leave behind that that people are going to remember more than, than, than the programs yeah. or, you know, the revitalization or the remodeling, you know, those types of things. It's It's the impact. Yeah of what you did for the life to where that person says he visited me when I was in the hospital. You know, he called me when, you know, four months later after my wife died, yeah. he, they're not going to remember a message or, yeah. you know, 
the sixth part of a seven part series, you know, it's those those things that um, they'll remember. So I think for me, you know, um, I love sports. You know, it's one of those things that um, that just refreshes me and being with friends. You know, I, I I'm definitely an extrovert, so I love people and I get energized by them. So yeah. those are some things that really refresh me. You That's know. great. And uh, and of course a a call a tall cold glass of horchata goes a long <laughs> way. <laughs> well, hey Troy, thank you so much for sitting down with us yeah. and sharing. Um, so great to just oh, hang out with, with you, you and your team today. Likewise, and, man. And to uh, just your friendship is so valuable to me, and your insights are always great. So thank you so much for oh, an honor, what bro. you shared. So uh, looking forward to another episode of the podcast coming up soon, guys. Thank you so much for wa- for listening in.